0: Turn to First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Rejoicing in God's power. I hope in reading through this portion of Scripture that you'll see how Peter admonishes his readers to rejoice in God's power. And he gives several reasons here why we should rejoice in God's power. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, oh now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, not having, having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. I know I say this too often, and it's actually a very poor statement, it's a poor sentence, but what a tremendous portion of Scripture. It certainly begins with the blessed God, the happy God, and ends with unspeakable joy of salvation. And in between here, Peter reminds us that the trials of our life and going through these trials, we can have great joy in considering the power of God. Consider that God has all power. And this, as we go through several of the attributes of God, last week we went over God's wisdom. As I said earlier, sometimes there's an impotency we have in our wisdom. We know what other people should do. We know what situations and decisions they should make. We know things that are right and would be helpful, but sometimes we just don't have power to affect it. Sometimes our hearts are larger than our abilities. Many times in these situations, God is gracious to bless us in what we would have done if we were able, as opposed to what we actually do. For example, there are those who are not with us today. They're not physically able to be here, one way or another. And you can certainly trust that, and you know them from their character and their lives, that they would indeed be here if they could physically. And we trust that God will bless them for their hearts and not for what they actually do. But in this, and when we see our impotency, we can look up to heaven to God, who is omnipotent. He has all power. God has all power. Psalm 62:11. God hath spoken once, twice, have I heard this, that power belongeth to God. Have you heard that power belongeth to God? God not only has all power, that God not only has power, but he has all power. And the power of God is such a source of joy in heaven. And you think about what would bring somebody in heaven joy and cause them to burst forth in song and singing and worship and adoration. That the, that the, that the saints all join in in a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and has the voice of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, praise the Lord for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. That the omnipotency of God is the subject of rejoicing in heaven. You think who could be happier than those who are already in heaven? And what is the s- source of the Happiness of the happy, the omnipotency of God. Surely, if that can so swell up the saints in heaven, surely that ought to affect us here on earth. God's power, we know, is in alignment with, in, in, in agreement with all the character of God. As such, it extends to all of existence. You can rejoice in God's power because it extends to all of existence, the entire universe. His power, however, you have to think of it this way. God's power is not distributed across the universe. He doesn't distribute His power across the universe. But wherever you find any of the power of God, you find all of the power of God. There's no parts to God and there's no parts of his power. So you can trust that wherever God extends his power, he has the ability to extend all of his power. There's no weak part of God. His power, he has power over all creation and the created order. This world and the laws of nature are all under the power of God. We know and have read in the Gospels how the wind and sea obey His voice. We've read how drought and rain are at His command and He causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. All beings obey His will. in the created order. I think of the animals that are at His command, such as those who entered the ark, Balaam's donkey, Jonah's fish, I think of the man of God from Judah who was killed by a lion. The lion killed the man but did not touch the donkey. Homework. You're going to have homework this week. Here's your homework. Read 1 Samuel chapter 4 through 6 and see God's complete sovereignty, and in this case especially over the cows. For those of you who have have cows... Uh, I think you'll pick up on the story, uh, especially. A milk cow who's never been away from, uh, never been away from her calves. And you see how God works most sovereignly over the animals. It's a, it's a wonderfully encouraging chapter. Next, we see how God has all power over all men. Daniel 4.35, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? There's not a man living who can thwart the purposes of God. God has all power over all the inhabitants of the earth. And this here should cause us great rejoicing. And think just what practical comforts that affords the Christian who has faith to believe that promise. Your faith doesn't make it happen. Your faith doesn't give God permission to be sovereign in your life or the lives of others. But what your faith will do is to be a source of comfort to you in that God is already ruling and reigning over men. And if you are to have small faith or little faith, You'll have little joy and little comfort, especially when you go through trials. May God give us faith to understand that he, that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Consider your best friends and your loved ones are all in the hands of an omnipotent God. What kind of joy does that bring to you practically on a day by day, even moment by moment basis? As you can go to an omnipotent, sovereign God and your loved ones are in their hands. Think of your friends here in the church who have needs that only God can fulfill. And we can draw such comfort to know that God is sovereign over their situation and He delights in receiving our prayers on their behalf. You can think of this that your enemies then are on a chain also and rejoice to think you cannot, you can commit your loved ones to their all, his almighty care. And those that would do harm to you and your loved ones are on the chain. And they cannot go beyond what God has ordained. No man or Satan or demon can be your destruction. With the many accounts from history to draw, and I will remind you of this simple story. The story of Joseph. We are all familiar with the story of Joseph. I hope you are. You know, it really is a help to, to me and to God's teachers for you to be familiar with the Bible. So that way I shouldn't have to be able to explain anything I refer to and have to explain the whole account for you to understand it. Every one of you, even you children, are obligated to understand the stories of the Bible and their meaning. So that way I can just simply refer to them and I can give you more and deeper teaching without having to go back and explain the uh, simple things of the Bible. But like, uh, you think of the story of Joseph. And from man's perspective, he was almost murdered by his brothers. Can you imagine your brothers discussing how they're going to kill you? And what that would do to your heart and mind. It's hard enough for you to argue with your brethren and have a disagreement. But can you imagine being so hated by your brethren that they want to kill you? And then, if that's not bad enough, they sell you off as a slave in a strange land. And then you're cast in the prison for obeying God. I don't think any of us have ever been to prison for obeying God. But that would be hard. God, I've obeyed you, and where did it get me? It got me in an Egyptian prison. Not just an Egyptian prison, but an Egyptian prison 3,500 years ago, or whenever it was. If all the prisons that have ever existed, that would be one I would not want to be in. And he, why did he get there? Because he obeyed God. You can see how hard life would be without faith. Abandoned in prison, he helps the people in prison. And they promise to do them good, and then they forget about them for years. Talk about discouragement. Joseph was a man who had faith. In all this evil, Joseph had faith to see how it wrought for his good. And he bore it patiently. And you know Joseph was a man of faith who understood God's absolute sovereignty that preserved him through all of those trials. First Chronicles 29.12 Both riches and honor come of thee, thou reignest over all. And in thy hand is power and might. And in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. What a comforting faith that it is. Everything comes from God, both riches and honor. He rules over all in his hand. It is to set up and he can put down and it is in his hand to give strength unto all. And by faith you can understand that God has the power to give you strength in your trials so you can endure like Joseph. Not just endure like Joseph, but to rejoice in the Lord always, even through your trials. And you will not be able to do that unless you have an understanding that God has sovereign power. Now in the trials that you have gone through and the trials you will yet go through, God may not exalt you to be second in command of a nation like he did with Joseph. But if you think of that, why would you settle for just being second in command of a nation? With the eye of faith, you read in scriptures and you believe the scriptures that you have an even better reward you will be exalted to something greater. You will be exalted to rule and reign with the glorified Jesus forever and ever. And you will be co-inheritors, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And what he inherits, which is all things, you will have a portion with him. Now doesn't that sound better than being rewarded in this life? Doesn't that sound... Better, doesn't that give you encouragement to persevere in faith and belief? Doesn't that give you hope of what you're going to receive? You're going to receive Almighty God as your inheritance. This Lord God omnipotence will be your inheritance. That ought to cause you joy no matter what circumstance you're in. I will certainly admit from my own frailties that that's hard to apply 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, at every moment by moment. But even look at those times when you're not rejoicing in God, it's because you're not meditating on who God is and what God has commanded of you, and you're not meditating on God's promises. It's hard to think of the joys and glories of heaven and then fail not to to uh, not rejoice in the Lord. And God, give us faith to rejoice in the Lord always even when your CD gets set on and that you wanted to bring to church and show off. And so I can say, look what I brought to the church. Ain't I so good for being so wise and giving this thing to uh, so edify you? You sure, Surely you ought to appreciate it. Peter says here, though, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Always remind yourself that a lot of times in your trials, your trials are not about you. Have you ever thought about that? Your trials are not about you. Most of the time, They are about God receiving glory by you acting like a Christian through them. By you acting like a Christian through your trials, God receives glory. You ought to take rejoicing in the fact that you get to be an object of glorifying God in your perseverance and obedience through trials. And so much that your trials become More precious to you than gold? How that is so foreign to fleshly carnal thinking, isn't it? That your trials become more precious to you than gold. May God give us that kind of faith. I wish I had a faith to say, It's easy, certainly. It's certainly easier. And this is part of what the church is here about, to encourage you to be, have, be able to look back on your trials and say, "God has brought us through here. You, you raise your Ebenezer this far as hitherto hath the Lord brought me." And God has brought you here today, and all the trials you've gone through, and all your failures and all your successes and all your victories and all your weakness, you are here today. And that of itself is a tremendous blessing and a tremendous victory. Of everything you've done in your life, you can wash under the blood of Jesus Christ and know and see God's power to bring you into His church, worshiping Him in faith and truth. That's a blessing and a grace upon your life that many billions do not get to partake of, who reject, who wouldn't want to be here, Think of the trials of Israel. Think of the trials of Israel. There was Israel in the wilderness. After being delivered from slavery, they were obeying God. They were following God. They went where God told them to go. Everything's good and fine. And then God leads them in between some mountains and the sea. And then here comes Pharaoh's army. Here comes one of these precious trials. And this trial that Israel went through to us is precious because we see the deliverance that God wrought with them and how he gained himself a mighty name and he was glorified in their deliverance. But you can imagine how hard it was for Israel at that time. are there not enough graves in Egypt? You brought us out here to kill us all? That's the complete opposite of faith. That's the complete opposite of rejoicing. They didn't see this providence of God. It was God that led them here. If they had faith, and some of them did have faith, like Moses in this case, God told Moses, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart and he's going to come after you and try and kill you. Moses believed God and he had faith to endure this trial of, of Egypt coming against them. Oh, many in Israel who had little faith, they fell into despair. And it's very easy for the human to fall into despair, into anguish, to worry, to extremes. You get frazzled a little bit and your mind runs to extremes. Husband's late, five minutes late, coming home from work and you begin to panic and you start looking up the names of hospitals to call to see if he's been in a wreck. I mean, we can all fall into that, don't we? But we need strong faith to trust in God. And those that had a strong faith trusted in God. It was said of this, centuries before in, before the exodus of Israel, it was said in the book of Job, 26.12, that he divideth the sea with his power, and by his understanding he smiteth the proud. And how prophetic of that. And Job be fulfilled in Egypt he divided the sea and he smote proud pharaoh in that same sea but it was god who got himself glory that day yes the faith of israel was tried yes it was proved that some there in israel did not have faith it was also proved that some in israel did have faith so in the end they are on the other side of the other side of the red sea and they break out in song and worship and praise to god for their deliverance And as we look at that, we are to strengthen ourselves for the trials to come so we can be like Paul in prison who sang unto God in the midnight hour. Numbers 14, it said this, when the people rebelled and refused to enter the promised land and wanted to return to Egypt, and they said this, that Moses interceded on the people's behalf. He was going to destroy them all. And look what how Moses interceded here. Numbers 14, verse 16, Moses said that the heathen would say, because the Lord was not able to bring His people into the land which He swore unto them, therefore He hath signed them in the wilderness. Moses looks beyond the providence of the people. Moses looks beyond the the condition of the people and the faith of the people, and he looks up vertically to God. And he has in his mind's eye the the glory of God. And God, for his own glory's sake, spared Israel. He was going to do that all along. He had made promises to Israel, and God's a keeper of his promises, and Israel and Moses knew that. But in this you rejoice that God has in His mind's eye also His own glory. As I prayed this morning, that in His infinite wisdom He has blended our good and His glory in one. God indeed got Himself glory and promised. God says this in verse 21 of Numbers 14, But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of God. So you can say this, no matter what trial you're going through, you can rejoice in that you can be an object for the very glory of God. Little old you, in your world, and even if nobody sees the trials you're going through, nobody knows the trials that you're going through. How many people fail to see or cannot see the mental trials and the mental anguish we go through? which is hard, much harder than the physical trials we go through. We'd rather have pain of body than pain of mind and pain of heart. But God sees, and God will reveal that glory and reveal your faith in the last day. This power of God is exerted on your behalf. This power of God is exerted on your behalf. It's not just about God showing off His power. But this is God showing off His power on your behalf for your good. Peter tells us that you you are kept by the power of God. You are kept by the power of God. This word kept here is a wonderful word. And it's a military term actually for a garrison. So God figuratively encircles you with a military encampment. Makes me think of the uh, travelings of Israel in the wilderness, how they were to travel in order. And in the center was the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of the covenant with God, Israel's covenant with God. They were to protect and keep that central to all of them. So you are kept in the center of God's military escort this military escort is commissioned to, to take you to your inheritance which is also kept safe for you in heaven so you are kept by god your inheritance is sure and safe and god is exerting his power to bring you to your sure inheritance shouldn't that cause you to rejoice john 10:28 Jesus said this, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave me is greater than all, because he has all power. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus Christ has all power. Father has all power, and no one is able to pluck you out of his hand. Because you are kept by the power of God. Now this doctrine of being kept by the almighty power of God has some bad applications. And there can be a, a perversion of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Some have used this to deny lordship salvation. That there's no submitting of, of God in salvation. If you just say Jesus is your Savior, if you say the sinner's prayer, Dear Lord, come into my heart and save me, and you just say that by rote memory, or just repeat after me, Dear Jesus, please forgive me and save me. That there's a perversion of this doctrine that uh, once you say this prayer, you're saved, and once saved, always saved. Now we hold to perseverance, but this once saved, also saved, is not divorced from the work of God in your life. As in, if God will so work in your life to submit unto Him as Savior, you will work in your life to submit un, for you to submit unto Him as your Lord. You cannot separate the two. Denying Lordship salvation is a perversion of perseverance of the saints. Others have said, well, what does God care? You're saved, I'm saved, we're all saved. Jesus' blood is effectual, it's... Uh, He'll forgive you of all your iniquities so it doesn't matter what you do. You can just sin as much as you want. God ordained it. Some have fallen into the terrible trap of antinomianism, lawlessness. And this is very wicked indeed. A chief lie of Satan... To use the grace of God for lasciviousness. The idea that if God doesn't care what you do because He has saved you from your sins, on its face is ridiculous. If He didn't care what you did, He wouldn't need to save you from your sins. But He obviously has cared what you've done because He did save you from your sins. But this is a perversion of, of the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. Or... Very practically, and something in this church we need to watch out for is that it can lead to laziness of Christianity. You're not to sit, you're not to sit here and say, Oh, thank heaven for 2007. Boy, wasn't that a good spiritual year? Oh, we, uh, wasn't this year good or wasn't this Bible conference good and you just, Sit back not doing anything for the kingdom of God, not doing anything for the kingdom of God in your home or even your own life and heart and mind and soul. Do not let perseverance of the saints lead you to laziness, but persevere, strive, learn, grow, move. Because you see, though, that not only does the garrison keep the enemies out, but it keeps you in. It's, you are kept by God in all of His graces, not just unto salvation. Romans 16.25 Now to Him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept in secret since the world began. Now unto Him that is of power to establish you according to the gospel. That is, to set you in your proper place in his kingdom your proper place in belief and faith and obedience. And he has the power to do that. Jude one twenty four. Jude one twenty four now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the the presence of his glory, he is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory in Jude one twenty four. God has the power to keep you from falling, falling away into uh, uh, easy believism, the power to keep you from falling into antinomianism, the power to keep you from falling into spiritual sloth. He has power to energize you and enliven you, to quicken you. We're reading through Psalm 119. Read all the times that Pete, that, uh, Peter, that David pleads t- to God to quicken him so he can then obey God. That is a Christian's heart. We pray to God to quicken us, to enliven us so we can obey just like David wrote in Psalm 119. <coughs> Psalm 3728, for the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. But the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. For the Lord loveth judgment. And forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever by his almighty power. So we see that the word of God is, preser- is exerted on our behalf but the power of God is also exerted on your behalf according to His abundant mercy. You know, sometimes uh, you are not just a, you are just not an instrument for God to show off. He is not just merely uh, manifesting how great He is just to, uh, to, to show off. And, but God is doing this in mercy and love toward you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, his many, his multitudinous, Is that's a word, mercy. He has mercy upon mercy, sufficient mercy, a divine mercy, an infinite mercy. He has an everlasting mercy, and it is according to his abundant mercy. We actually had a good lesson on uh, according to this morning. I like the description to it. It's like God giving you a blank check. He has a bank account. He's, he's giving it according to your need. But according to his abundant mercy, hath he begotten us again to an lively to an inheritance who are kept by the power of God. Many times on earth, the mighty help the weak for their own purposes. But you can trust that the power of God is on behalf of your sakes for your sakes. He is truly merciful to you. Also that this merciful power of God is an unchanging power. Your inheritance of which you are being brought to is an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away. It is reserved in heaven for you. In this, in this power, his unchanging power, you can take great comfort that he will never grow weak. He will never grow tired. His mercy will never fade. His wisdom will never fade. Sometimes you get tired, don't you? And you can't think. You can't move. There have been times when you just can't even stay awake. Have you ever fallen asleep standing up? Aren't you glad that God is an unchanging God? The impassibility and the immutability of God, which will be a sermon, that you ought to rejoice in the immutability of God, ought to be a great comfort and source to you. Say, Somebody's your beneficiary. They're paying your bills. They're blessing you with their wealth. And then they run out of money and they can't bless you anymore. That's not how God is. He has an infinite store of power. And He has an infinite store of mercy. And He has an infinite store of wisdom. All on your behalf for your good and His glory. Now that doesn't cause you to rejoice Uh, you're probably just not a Christian. You'll never grow weak. This power of God will always be infinite. Where any part of this mercy, where any part of this power, any part of this wisdom is found, all of it is found. Wherever any part of God is found, all of God is found. Also, this merciful, unchanging power, however, this one is hard for us to understand, is governed by his wisdom. His ways are not our ways. And in his mercy and wisdom, he has determined that we will go through trials and will suffer persecution. We don't understand that, do we? We don't understand why we've had to go through the hard times we've had to go through why we've had to suffer these trials. Many times we do not understand God's dealing with us. Oh, how hard would it be for God to actually sit and try and explain the wisdom of His providence to you. He is governing the entire world. Every atom is under His immediate and universal control. And your life is so interconnected with everybody else's life. Just think of how interconnected your life is with your family. That would be hard for God to explain just the interactions within a family. So imagine trying to explain it through everybody on the earth all at the same time. It's quite a providential power he has, isn't it? And Quite the infinite wisdom and to govern all of this perfectly. And it is not for us to know the details of why God does what He does. But rather, part of what God is doing is emphasizing the blessings of faith because this is received through faith. Our comfort and rejoicing in the power of God is received through faith. God ordained that we should know Him through faith. God ordained we should be saved through faith. And it is only through a strong, lively, informed faith that you can rejoice in God's power through your trials. God so orchestrated your life that all your blessings to Him will come by your faith. It is received by faith. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. This is the end, the purpose of your faith is to be preserved through all of this, even to the salvation of your soul. It is through faith in the power of God you can rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. May God give us that kind of faith. And there are times when you've had that moment, these golden hours, and we're going to read about that in Pilgrim's Progress. Those times when the world just goes away and it's just you and God. aren't those wonderful moments? Hours They seem just like mere minutes or seconds sometimes before the noise of the world. Especially if you're a mother. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Imagine. Imagine this. I know we don't play the lottery and you shouldn't play the lottery. I don't know exactly how evil, where it falls on scale, if at all, but uh, I'll just say it's not prudent to play the lottery, so don't play the lottery, please. But imagine if you did. It's just an illustration. Imagine if you won $100 million. I remember me and Rosa, we went to this guy, and they were trying to sell us something, some pyramid scheme, and they started out by saying, oh, what would you do if you had money? What thing would you buy? A baby grand piano? Would you buy a car, a house, ten houses? And they get you thinking about all the wonderful things you could buy, and you think, oh, if I had a hundred million dollars, I could buy a big yacht, I could buy houses for all my friends, and we could all live together and buy my own town, and it'll just be perfect and wonderful. And I could buy all the, I could have a piano for every day of the week, and you can just rattle it off if money was no option. Now, what if you had won, though, the entire United States of America? If you won not just a hundred million, but hundreds of trillions of dollars. America's a very rich nation when you add us all up together. Imagine if you owned everybody and everything. Every corporation, every car, every house, every boat, every penny in America was all yours. All the laws was yours to make you as king and emperor, empress over America. Wow, that would be, and you had control over everybody. That's quite the thought, isn't it? But what if you had won the entire world? And the entire world was now yours. You didn't have you won't have to count the money. Does it exist? Yes, then it's yours. Everything on this world is yours. Well, what would you do then? Well, you could make all sorts of laws. You could just say, okay, everything unjust is all unjust laws are done away with or abolished and everybody's gonna be nice and live happy and, and, uh, you could really do a lot, couldn't you? If you really owned the entire world. What, how would, how would you feel if you were given the entire world? I mean, you wouldn't, you'd be so shocked, you wouldn't even know how to, how to react. I mean, it's quite a silly thought. And the only reason I bring it up is this. For you who are heirs of salvation, Jesus said this, What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus here is saying that the entire world is not worth the price of your soul, of the salvation of your soul. And to speak of joy unspeakable and full of glory, by faith... You have something that's worth more than the entire world. So if you would rejoice at winning the lottery, or rejoice at winning stuff, winning this world, congratulations. How much more should you rejoice over something more valuable, which is your eternal salvation? Here is Jesus' promises, salvation by faith. And this salvation, you're sure salvation because you're kept by the power of God. It's by the mercy of God. So your sins aren't going to mess it up. God will sanctify you. He will keep you in His will. And He has given you something more valuable than this whole world. Something so valuable that you can rejoice through trials. And you can count trials precious because it's manifesting. You have and possess that Which is indeed more valuable than the entire world. Salvation by faith. And these trials are proving to you that you have faith. And when it is proved to you that you have faith, a real faith, a strong faith, a faith that can persevere through trials, shouldn't that cause you to rejoice? Because you know what's coming. You are patience and you can, you can almost hear heaven. You can almost see heaven, you can almost smell heaven. My daughter Elizabeth was pointing out in some of the some of Handel's Messiah how in the announcement of Jesus at the birth of Jesus, how he plays musically with you, and you can hear at first just a few notes that represent. A single angel. And you hear the beating of their wings. And then when the chorus comes, you hear all the angels' wings beating together. And it's just its wonderful just to have that musical picture in your head. And imagine. Heaven. You're placed there. Heaven is your inheritance. This rejoicing comes to you By faith. That is the end of your faith. Therefore, get faith. Get faith. Hold on to faith. Prove faith. Say, God, try my faith to see if I really have it. I don't want to go through life with an imaginary faith. A false faith. A presumptuous faith. That's why the church asks questions about salvation. We don't do it to be nosy. We don't do it to be judgmental but we do it in love to you so that you may know you have a true faith that will receive this glorious inheritance. We're going to read about that in Pilgrim's Progress. And we continually ask each other all of our lives as a family of God, as a church family of our faith. We never go tired of knowing our faith is true and having our faith built up Part of the very purpose of the church is to have your faith built up so you can rejoice through trials. May God grant that this church is such a church as to encourage each other in true faith, strong faith that perseveres and ends in the very glory of God. Let's pray.